Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm Ellen Parson, Editor-in-Chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with a few of, the, of this year's under 30 electrical all-stars. Not only are we going to discuss some of their secrets to success as far as moving up so quickly in the electrical industry at such a young age, but we'll also talk about the latest trends they're seeing, what it's been like recovering from the pandemic, uh, what they want in their careers, and the biggest challenges they expect to face in the next couple of years, among other things. We're going to be talking about a lot, so I'm excited to speak with all of them today. Uh, ECNM On Air is one of the many benefits available to our members-only portal, which offers exclusive member benefits and premium content that's hand-selected by our editorial team. If you're interested in finding out more, you can register on our website, ecmweb.com, in the drop-down menu under premium content. And if you're listening on a podcast app, please check out our website for the links mentioned in this podcast. You can find it in the premium content area. So today we're talking to a handful of 30 under 30. Um, not all 30, obviously, but I'm glad to have a few folks here today. Um, we have Taylor Groves of Stancil Electric, Cody Kristanich from MC Dean, and Cody Swayze of Smith Seckman Reed. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves briefly today before we jump into the discussion. So uh, Taylor, would you like to begin? Yeah, sure. Um, so first I'll say thanks for having me on. Um, and also thanks again for the award. It's been, it's been a, a fun experience. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm Taylor. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Married. Wife and I spend a lot of times outdoors, uh, mountain biking, camping, things like that. Work for Stancil Electric Company. We're uh, just a Tennessee company. We have an office here in Knoxville and in Nashville. Okay. Uh, we do a little bit of everything. What I focus on mostly is transportation work. So that's street lighting, building intersections. Uh, we do a lot of the fiber work for uh, the Department of Transportation for TDOT. Uh, their, um, their, their cameras, uh, their smart way, drive times, things like that. Um, we also build the dynamic message signs that go over the interstate. You see sometimes have the, the funny sayings on them, uh, but mo that's that's majority of my work, uh, highway and, and, and bridge type lighting. Um, so we do a little bit of everything, but but that's that's what I do mostly. Um, study business management at Pellissippi State, which is a technical school here in Knoxville. I'm originally from Portland, Tennessee, which is, is middle Tennessee, just, just up above Nashville. Uh, so I've always been here in Tennessee, uh, always enjoyed construction, especially the, the electrical world, been in it for about four years now. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Okay, great. Cody Kristanich, do you wanna go next? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Cody Kristanich, uh, Commissioning Safety Manager at MC Dean. And you know, as Taylor mentioned, it's it's such an honor to, one, have been administered the award from ECNM. Uh, in addition to that, coming on to speak here today at this podcast, I think this is you know, extremely beneficial, uh, great, way to reach out to young professionals right in the electrical industry, give them a little bit of background from uh, you know, whether it's Taylor's, myself, or uh, Cody Swayze's points of views in terms of the work that we deal with day in and day out. A little bit about myself, recently engaged, looking to uh, set a wedding date for summer of next year, 2023. Also enjoy you know, outdoor activities, fishing, hunting, uh, ice hockey, and 
I work for MCDN, as I mentioned, and we are a large-scale electrical contractor. Um, the world that I live in is primarily the mission-critical world with new data center builds. I primarily focus on electrical safety for the most part. A lot of uh, parts that are played in terms of the energization of uh, new equipment at those job sites, the electrical testing and commissioning that takes place prior to handing that equipment over to the client and the operational team. So again, big thank you. And I'm looking forward to doing this today. Of course, you're welcome. And I'm excited because it, we have a really good mix of backgrounds from you all. So we have, you know, contractor, we have safety, the safety focus, and then also the engineering focus, which all of ECNM's readers, you know, we're kind of split between electrical contractors, electricians, uh, engineers, design engineers, and then also plant facility type electrical professionals. So it's good to get a background from, you know, all the different areas. So Cody. Yeah. And hey guys, uh, second Cody here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you guys for having me. My name is Cody Swayze. Um, like Taylor, funny enough, uh, another Tennessee guy here. Um, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. So pretty cool to have somebody else from Tennessee on here representing. Um, I work for Smith Segman Reed. Um, so we're in the design engineering uh, and consulting uh, industry. I mean, we've got commissioning, we've got structural MEP, we've got kind of a, a wide array uh, based out of here in Nashville as well as across the country. Uh, but for me in particular, um, I focus primarily on sports work uh, throughout the country, doing design engineering for uh, various stadiums and, and different arenas that have kept me pretty busy and uh, keep me on the road somewhat often. Um, yeah, being here in Nashville, uh, a lot of what the other guys said, just enjoy being outdoors and uh, kind of spending time with my wife and, um, you know, getting away from the hustle and bustle when I can. Uh, but thank you guys for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yes, definitely. I want to congratulate all of you because, you know, every year this just seems to grow. We started it um, many years ago, but each year we just get more and more nominations, which is a testament to how, you know, the innovation that you all are bringing and the new, uh, you know, the new blood to the industry. So, um, you know, congratulations. And I know the readers love to, to look at all these profiles and to learn about what everyone's doing and to, you know, also get your perspective on, you know, ECNM's readers are, you know, typically the average age has been in the fifties. So, you know, they need to relate to the younger people coming in and, you know, how does this all work together with, you know, everyone retiring and, you know, every, we have a labor shortage and all that, which we're going to get to here soon, but really appreciate your perspectives here. So let's jump right into some of the questions and discussions. Um, I wanted to start with, you know, just on a personal standpoint, how did you get your start in the electrical industry? First of all, some people, you know, come through the traditional routes, some are, you know, it's a family thing. Um, wanted to find out, you know, how you came into the electrical industry. And then, you know, did you always know that you wanted to work in a STEM field or, you know, how did that come about? So if you could all just let us know about that, we could start off. Well, I'll go ahead. Um, I don't have any kind of uh, crazy um, story on, on how I came into it. It was actually uh, by chance, right? After college, um, I started working for a company in my hometown, was a general contractor, and, and most of the work was land development, uh, things like that. And I, I knew I wanted to work in the construction field, uh, but I wasn't sure exactly what. Um, I ended up stumbling upon Stancil uh, in a job there in Nashville. And when my wife and I decided to move back to Knoxville, that's kind of how we got um, hooked up. I, I really didn't have much electrical experience. 
um, in general, but I did kind of feel like I fit in in the industry uh, once, once I started. So it's kind of by happen chance, uh, but uh, as far as being in a STEM field, um, it was always, I guess, uh, one of my strengths growing up, um, really coming out of high school, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I, I really only went to college just because uh, my friends did. I ended up studying business management, uh, which had a lot of the similar classes uh, that kind of lined up uh, with a STEM field. Uh, wasn't wasn't really cut out to be uh, an engineer or, or an architect per se. I knew um, my skill set was a little bit more relative to being a contractor uh, and just, just building in general. So um, yeah, kind of just ended up here by by um, discovering the the company and it's been a great fit. You know, I didn't mention in the introduction, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, currently residing in Southern Virginia, but growing up, I had a lot of different family members that worked in the medical industry. And honestly, I kind of resonated with all the work that they did. I have several nurses in my family, but I had aspired to approach health and safety from a little bit of a different perspective. Um, and all the time, uh, my mother was constantly pushing me to get into safety because she knew me best and figured that it'd be a good fit for me. Uh, I ended up going to school for it. And once I got out and I got into the field, uh, I was immediately drawn to electrical safety specifically uh, because you know, as safety professionals, our, our jobs come down to mitigating risk and managing risk, right? And I perceived the electrical aspect of all of our jobs that I had visited to be uh, the most fatal uh, work that we were associated with. So I essentially saw an opportunity right, to dive into something that was challenging. And at the same time, uh, I'm always looking to surround myself with uh, high-performing, well-educated individuals. And within the electrical industry, you always have the opportunity to work with engineers, seasoned electricians, commissioning managers, people that are able to teach you a lot and at the same time are involved with all of those potentially fatal operations. So that's, I'd say off the bat, how I was immediately drawn towards um, the electrical industry after you know, getting into safety. Did you start in a safety capacity within the, your job initially or did, were you in another like electrical role first? So I, I initially did start out with safety. Um, I, I went to school, uh, got my undergraduate degree in uh, safety management, and then came right out of school. I did my internship with MC Dean, and it was a, it was a really great experience. Uh, I liked the company. I liked the type of work that they did. Um, you know, prior to going to school, I, I was considering getting into the trade itself. And I ultimately, obviously, ended up going the, the route of, you know, pursuing my education through Slippery Rock University. Uh, and then, oddly enough, I found myself working for an electrical electrical contractor upon graduating. Okay, great. Yeah, and so for me, I'm I'm probably a little unique at how early um, I knew kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, actually, you know, like these guys, I always kind of had a knack for math and science, and so the STEM field was a you know, direct correlation of that, and it just made sense. But actually, when I was in the eighth grade, a uh, job shadowed a family friend. Um, as part of a school project. And he was working on the Orlando Magic Amway Center at the time as an electrical engineer. And I just thought it was the coolest thing to be able to kind of combine the two things that I, things that I was good at with math and science and also what I enjoyed so much with sports work. Um, 
and funny enough, uh, stayed in contact all through, you know, high school and college, ended up interning um, at Smith Seckman Reed. And when I came to Smith Seckman Reed, he was my boss. So that's amazing. He and I are are still very close friends. We work closely together, um, work on projects together. Um, starting out as an intern in college, I, you know, it was right up my alley. I was working on the Detroit Red Wings new arena, as well as the Golden State Warriors new arena. And I just, I was hooked from there. So you never changed your focus. That That is interesting from the eighth grade. That's awesome. Yeah, a little unique there. I don't, I don't think that's probably the norm. I think we need to get more people to do that. Yeah, because we're you know, they're trying so hard to recruit people into the electrical industry and, you know, how can they reach those people? And so you had a unique experience there that obviously turned out, you know, really great. So that's awesome. Okay. So let's talk about, um, you know, to me, you know, you're quite a bit younger than I am. So um, given that you're under the age of 30, which we're considering young uh, in this industry, since our average, you know, reader is probably 55 years old, at least for ECNM. I'd like to get kind of a gauge on how you think you have succeeded uh, in this industry in such a relatively short amount of time, because, you know, it's, it's not the easiest industry to break into. There are a lot of older individuals, you know, who are the veterans and, you know, kind of like to get your perspective on how do you break into this? And then how do you succeed once you're, you know, inside the industry? Yeah, I can, I can go ahead and speak on that from a a safety perspective. Um, So, I mean, off the bat, and I and I kind of just mentioned this, and you know the topic that we were just just discussing. But specializing for me um, in electrical safety was something that I've I've found to be a little bit unique. Um, for any any safety professionals that are listening, um, most know that we wear a lot of different hats. Uh, there's a lot of different scopes of work that even uh, an electrical contractor or mechanical contractor, whatever wherever it is that you work. Uh, that you have to be uh, kind of up to speed with or uh, in-depth knowledge in terms of the operations that are going to be taking place. So you can gain an understanding of that type of risk uh, that your employees may have exposure to. So taking more of a specialized route um, in relation to electrical safety was one of the things I think that stood out um, from myself, maybe from people that had gone through and been in safety management type of positions in the past, whether it's uh, with MCD or other companies at large. The second thing would be just in terms of succeeding, right, whether it's in a specialized rule or not, surrounding yourself with knowledgeable or like you had mentioned, uh, veteran individuals, right? Uh, I have the ability to work with commissioning managers and electrical engineers, and I surround myself with those types of people day in and day out. just taking the knowledge that they have about, uh, you know, advanced equipment types or designs, uh, the, the, the type of testing that we perform, uh, the jobs that I'm based out of, and really just trying to see and utilize that information that they have through the lens of safety and how we can influence people and apply that to the testing that they're doing, the, uh, the startup that they're doing, or even an in installation level. Um, I think that's one of the things that probably help separate myself from um, some of my colleagues. Right. And that's probably, you know, also coming in as a younger person and then you're in charge of, you know, telling them what they're not supposed to be doing or, you know, that's probably also a a unique situation where you have to be able to have personal skills that, you know, can, you know, work with all different types of individuals. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, communicating effectively um, in a professional manner uh, is, is a, a big part of that. But at the same time, I think engaging somebody, right, that does have that veteran experience and maybe they've been, uh, you know, working a job for, you know, a specific way for a long, elongated amount of time, uh, taking, taking that knowledge and experience that they have and uh, kind of filtering that into maybe a, a reform process or a newfound process uh, really, really does help get people's buy-in uh, in terms of getting on board with something that you're trying to implement. Any other pointers or how you think you've succeeded in such a relatively short amount of time? Because, you know, it is a big award and the fact that you're you know, co-workers and supervisors and different, you know, people in your company picked you out and said, yes, this person is, you know, outstanding. They are, should be 30 under 30, you know, so that's, that's really unique. So um, any other thoughts on how you've succeeded in such a short amount of time? Yeah. I mean, I, I think for me, uh, one of the baselines is just having the work ethic. Number one, I think that's just at a basic level, you have to be willing to go uh, above and beyond to, to be ready for opportunities. Um, and one of the things that always scares me the most is that an opportunity is going to come along that that I may not be ready for. So that's that's what I always try to prepare myself for. Um, but I think the the real differentiator above all else is having strong mentors um, that can really help guide you. And that can be, you know, that could be one strong mentor. That could be a culmination of multiple mentors. For me, um, it's really been two primary mentors um, that that have different skill sets. One being extremely technical, the other really being business minded and knowing clients. Um, and so, just being able to learn from those mentors has helped me immensely, and, and just gives immense confidence when you go into meetings or on job sites that you've you've kind of already discussed this with them. It just it gives you that extra backing, especially as, as a young engineer walking in. That's a good perspective for sure. Yeah, I think one of the things Cody just mentioned there. Uh, in terms, in terms of not so much surrounding yourself with the mentors, because I, you know, again, do that myself, um, you know, day in, day out with the people I work with, but that work ethic, uh, it's, <laughs> I mentioned earlier that, you know, hunting, fishing are some of the hobbies that I, uh, you know, regularly partake in. And I remember that when I first as an intern got to the job that I'm at now, um, I used to take one-line diagrams, power distribution drawings, and I would print them out and take them home with me. When I was out on the boat on the lake fishing, I would just try to study them uh, to, to learn the power distribution for the project because that's what you know the engineers, uh, technicians in the field that were performing testing, that they were referencing consistently or for, for energy isolation activities, right? Those are, those are obviously critical in terms of making sure that we uh, account for every source of power in terms of the equipment that we might have to go back into shut down for whatever reason. Uh, so I wanted to become intimately familiar with that. So putting in that extra work to your point, Cody, is um, that's always one of the things that I remember when I, at, you know, an early stage in my career being on a, a kayak or a fishing boat and just looking at one line diagrams. That's a great story. We need to make that a requirement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, that's definitely good. Um, Taylor, any, from your perspective, as far as, you know, electrical contractor, how, how you think you've succeeded you're kind of in a little bit of different uh niche than the other these two so yeah uh i'll echo what both the guys said uh as far as is relying on on good mentorship uh as well as uh for me just 
just being fortunate enough to work for, for a good company that kind of equips me with the technology and, and the things that I need uh, to succeed as, as well as just the, the opportunity in general. But um, especially on, on the contractor side, uh, for us uh, and my path in, in particular uh, with going and, and getting an associate's degree is I, I started work pretty soon, uh, just a couple of years after high school. Uh, and we see that a lot uh, with, you know, with the apprenticeship, uh, we actually have an in-house apprenticeship here, uh, which almost guarantees um, someone a job when they're done. So, um, you know, that's, that's people coming in at, at 19, 20, 21 years old. So um, not a lot of experience, but for me, um, looking at eight years of experience uh, at, at, at 28 makes really a difference because uh, I'm starting to build, um, you know, those, those resources up just at an accelerated pace. Absolutely. So kind of along those same lines, has anyone experienced, um, I'm sure you have, you may not want to say um, any difficulty working with the older generations, let's say who may be set in their ways, not as receptive to change. And especially when it comes to technology, and we're going to be talking about technology later, um, as far as using technology, um, do you have any experiences you want to share there or how you handled that? Yeah, I mean, for us on the on the design side, um, there's always, you know, improvements to the software we're utilizing. We, we primarily do our drawings in Revit. Um, we're also using software like Bluebeam and Navisworks and, and different things. And, you know, as these programs evolve, there's certain certainly hesitancy um, from some of the older generations. I think the important thing to note just coming in uh, for me was just to understand the knowledge that they have and really garner their respect, um, even if you're the one that may be helping to instruct them on, on what you're doing on a particular project, right. uh, just creating kind of an open forum uh, for them to be able to share their ideas. And just because it's a new piece of technology doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna improve what you're doing. So I think a big thing it taught me was you've got to prove it out before you go to these guys and, and try to help get them to adopt it. Um, and so I think as a firm, we've done a good job of doing that, providing good training opportunities and really vetting that out before we just roll it out to the masses. That is absolutely true. I think that our readers will love to hear that. You know, you can't use that software unless you have the knowledge base behind it. So just because they can't use the technology doesn't mean, or some of them can't, I'm not trying to say that everyone can't, but it just seems like, is that something that you all learned in school or you know, in your internships to use those kinds of technology tools, whereas maybe, you know, the older generations obviously weren't even exposed to that. Yeah, I think, I mean, really it's on the job for us. I know there's certain okay. architectural engineering programs that may teach you Revit and some of those other pieces of software. But for me, um, coming out of Tennessee Tech, uh, general electrical engineering program, most of that is not taught in school. So it's, okay. it's on the job training. Have you used any, um, how, I mean, these are buzzwords, but we hear all the time, you know, people talking about AI, augmented reality, virtual re reality tools. We ask those questions on our um, top 50 surveys, our top 40 surveys, and it does seem like most firms are, you know, say they are using these, um, but are they just buzzwords or how are you really implementing um, that kind of technology into your work? Um, wanted to just kind of touch from each of your perspectives, what kind of technologies you're using like currently and maybe what's you know you're envisioning is there anything you're looking at coming up that you're wanting to adopt yeah so um 
we've been using uh, what we call our VDC program, and it's it's rather new. It's probably started in the last year or so. Uh, but that's the virtual design and construction, okay. uh, especially uh, doing our, our transportation work. Uh, basically, what, what we're doing, we've got a couple of engineers uh, and architects as well as fabricators, and we're going out, say, to a, a traffic intersection uh, before we build it, before we, we ever start work. And uh, using GoPros or um, uh, you know fisheye cameras, taking 360 degree views. Uh, mainly, it's it's well, it's one, it's uh, able to be a little bit more productive, but also to work uh, in a in a more safe manner, just because there's there's so many risks up in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we're we're going back to the shop and basically building the intersections in the warehouse um, exactly how they need to line up with the the lanes of traffic uh, the existing overhead power lines, uh, things like that, and then going out and building it and getting it done in an hour opposed to a week. Uh, and it's it's done safer because uh, we already um, took those precautions ahead of time. So that's something we've been doing that, that's been been pretty cool. That is very cool. How long have you been doing that? And how, um, you know, has everyone been receptive to that or what kind of a Learning yeah, uh, we've been doing it for about a year. We actually started it in Nashville first, just because that's our headquarters. They have a they have a huge place there, so um, we have a lot of fabricators. Uh, we have the space to build that kind of stuff. There there was some resentment just because uh, at first, it, it, just like anything else, technology based, it just took a while to roll out. You know, right. it had some kinks to work out. Some of those things is like if you try to do it and it didn't work. People mm-hmm. want to write it off, but after they've they've done it a few times, it it's it's really great. I mean, the, the least we can keep the guys in the field, uh, just in general, out in traffic or out in the elements, uh, the better. So yeah, it's it, it it definitely took a little while to to get rolling, but it's it's been great. Good, that's a great example. Any other examples of the the new technologies or how you're using them differently that might be interesting? Yeah, I mean, I would echo what Taylor said uh, pretty frequently on most of the projects I'm a part of. We do VDC coordination uh, alongside contractors, so I'm kind of on the other side. And uh-huh. you know, trade partners are coming in and they're um, helping to take some of our 3D modeling, and that they bring that in, and we can do clash detection uh, for the different disciplines. You know, it helps us so we're not running into these issues in the field. Um, it can be a huge cost and time saver. Um, for both contractors and engineers, because you're you're solving these problems before they get built. Um, some of the most advanced I've seen was actually when I worked on Allegiant Stadium over in Las Vegas for the Raiders. They had some pretty advanced VDC coordination. Um, and as we would build that model, uh, and as we would build the building simultaneously, they would actually take 3D cameras and replace portions of the building as they got built. So as we would go in and say we had to coordinate new duct work or, you know, electrical conduit going in or whatever it may be for on an MEP side, um, we were able to get exact measurements from the field, but within the model. Um, so it was a really cool tool. Is that something that you're seeing with, like you mentioned, your trade partner? So when you're working with different clients and contractors, subcontractors, um, is that something that everyone is typically using or is it something you have to, it just depends on the project and you have to mm-hmm. educate whomever you're working with on, you know, everyone has to agree on what's going to be used and how you're going to utilize those things. Yeah, I think, I think it's really driven by project size more than anything. I mean, some of that software can get relatively expensive, but um, you know, there's, there's, 
your typical software that's used on the modeling side, um, things like Revisto and things, but or Revisto, Navisworks, those kind of things are a little more typical. There are some that I've seen that you know you have to do some additional training beforehand, typically coming down from the from the general contractor um, to kind of help everybody get on the same page on how it's going to be utilized during the project. Okay. From a safety standpoint, Cody, do you have anything to add as far as you know how te technology is playing a role and how you roll things out on that front? Yeah, absolutely. Technology does play a really big, really big part. And I mean, obviously construction in general, as Taylor and Cody just mentioned. Um, but at the same time, uh, from you know a training standpoint for safety, uh, there's there's a lot that we've been doing recently with with virtual reality, for example. Um, you know, giving people the opportunity to get into a uh, fabricated electrical room, you know, in a virtual sense where they're actually mm -hmm. able to interact with um, equipment systems that we commonly utilize and test on our jobs. Uh, it, gives, it gives people the opportunity to fail. And what I mean by that is that uh, you, get a, you get a real experience in terms of the, the job tasks that you would have to perform at a job site. Um, but at the same time, you're, you're in a safe place to fail, right? So you're able to really get that authentic experience uh, almost to the hands-on degree, uh, you know, when you're training in that virtual type of sense, you know. Is that like a training module you roll out to a whole group or they do it on their own time individually or how does that kind of work? That's like, because MCD is very large. Like. Right, right. So there's, there's qualified uh, individuals, qualified electrical workers is what you know, we'll call them. And basically these personnel are selected to go through uh, and it can be up to a couple of days of training, uh, depending on what groups they're coming from, right? If they're uh, UPS technicians or if we have people that are, um, you know, responsible for large scopes or aspects of energy isolation at a data center project, right? We try to specialize these trainings based on the divisions that the employees are coming from. So these individuals will be selected, right? Uh, we know that say for this job here, um, you know, the say the one that I'm on in the Southern Virginia area, right? They have specific scopes of work or activities that they're responsible for regarding energy isolation. So we're going to put them in that virtual um, hands-on type of experience, put them through that virtual experience in order for them to interact with the systems that they would have at the job to make sure that they understand how to shut that equipment down appropriately, right? There's a, a mm -hmm. sequence or a manner in which it has to be done. Uh, what are the redundant isolation points that need to be captured, breakers opened, uh, locks applied to? Um, are there Kirky interlock systems that need to be utilized uh, on a switchboard uh, in certain switching uh, sequence sequences or operations? Right, so again, we are able to really authenticate that experience uh, when doing so in a, in a fail-safe type of environment, right? Mm -hmm. So from a training aspect, I think that's, that's extremely helpful. Um, in terms of augmented reality, right, mm -hmm. we have rolled out uh, basically a lifting and rigging um, kind of augmented uh, look ahead, I guess I could call it when we go to plan out our picks, right, with our, with our lift plans, uh, that we're actually able to simulate that in an augmented type of way uh, as to where we understand that at certain wind speeds, right, it's going to affect uh, the suspended load in said type of manner, or 
other factors that might play a role or effect on that uh, lifting operation that we're seeking to perform at a job site. And we can kind of run that through in that augmented sense prior to taking those practices and applying them at a job. Uh, and then from a modeling standpoint, it's, it's actually an extremely uh, helpful tool from the safety side of things as well. Because that's, that's, a, that's a key reference in terms of, uh, I'll give you an example, I have to get into um, you know, said raceway, let's say, that has so many junction boxes um, along that raceway. And I need to know what circuits that run through those raceways so that I can lock them out, right? Not be exposed to any energy while I'm going to access that point to whether it's to do some troubleshooting or um, maybe pull new, pull new wires through that raceway. Um, the model can identify which circuits are running through uh, that raceway. That way I don't have to, again, at any point in time, expose myself to uh, live parts, right? Uh, avoid even having to glove up, put PPE on, um, you know, get into that box, right, and try and identify what circuits are running through that area. Yeah, that's, that is so interesting. And that, it just, you know, speaks to the fact that you all were chosen as the 30 under 30, because, you know, it's the innovation and technology is one of the big parts that, you know, I think is driving the industry. And if you're not able to do that, you're, you're going to be left behind. So um, I, I wanted to turn the discussion to, to obviously, there's a labor shortage, a skilled labor shortage in our industry, as well as, you know, the construction industry. So um, just kind of pick your brain on what um, factors so that we, all of the companies want to hire people like you, right? They want to get the best of the best. They want to get the young people who are going to be, you know, the best employees they can get. And they're really competing against each other to get you all. So what types of factors, let's just start with, were the most important to you when you were choosing um, your employer and why, and then, you know, maybe talk about some of the incentives. I suspect that just from, since the pandemic has started and it's come out, come out how, you know, a lot of people entering new jobs are the things that used to be important to them. Let's say when I was starting out salary or benefits or whatever it was, it's not, it's kind of shifting. And those kinds of things are not the same. So maybe what's important to one person might not be important to the other. And maybe salary is not the impo most important thing anymore. Maybe it's flexibility. Maybe it's, um, you know, sustainability. Or There's all kinds of things that seem like are more important now that are becoming part of this equation. So that was a lot. Sorry. Um, if you could just kind of speak to, you know, what was important to you when you were choosing your job and then maybe talk about some of these motivating factors that, you know, appeal to you. Yeah, I can, I can hop in on that one uh, okay. first. I think in terms of speaking about bridging the gap for the industry, uh, I don't necessarily know if I can provide a, a good answer for that, but I can speak a little bit about what interested me and some of the things that I was looking for. And I'll tell you that the front runner for myself was, I was looking for someone to invest in my career development. And upon arriving at MC Dean, uh, I immediately knew that was going to be a factor. Uh, very, very home type of environment uh, where whether it's mentors that you had based out of your job site or anybody uh, kind of at upper levels of management, you always get that feel as if they want you to advance yourself, your knowledge, um, better the skills that you have and continue to sharpen the ones that you uh, want, to, want to develop, right? The goals that you set, they want you to achieve them. And they're definitely willing to provide the resources in order to make that happen. Okay. So I knew immediately that 
investing in my career for the long term was what I was looking for coming out of college and pretty much right upon arriving at MCD. And that's, I, I got that feeling pretty quickly. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I mean, to echo a lot of, a lot of what Cody said as well, um, for me, I, I really always enjoyed working on sports, like I said. So I, I'm kind of unique in that um, SSR in Nashville is one of the few locations here locally that I could work on those types of projects throughout the country. Um, but I think even bigger than that, it's really having the tools uh, from the company to be able to grow. Um, one thing that SSR has really been great about doing for me is just giving me the autonomy to go after what I enjoy doing, what I have a passion for. And, and I haven't been limited by, you know, my age or my position from, you know, chasing future work with clients and managing projects. And um, it hasn't been this, this, uh, you know, rigid hierarchical structure that, that can't be moved. It's been, there's opportunity if you want to go and get it. And I think that's part of that bridging the gap that Cody mentioned. Um, you've, in order to do that, you're going to have to let the younger generation go and get certain things, even before it may seem like uh, traditionally they would have been ready. And so I think the companies that figure that out quicker right. and equip their young people with, with those tools will be the ones to grow the fastest. Right. It seems like, you know, at least growing up, it's like you get into this job and then you serve your time and then you do this and there is a hierarchy to it. And it seems like, you know, that doesn't necessarily need to be true. So the people that are really excelling are kind of breaking those barriers. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I think that was probably my my biggest thing was, um, you know, I had a little bit of education, a little bit of experience. Um felt like uh, I had had great potential. I just really wanted to go somewhere that that recognized that really just give me give me the chance uh, to grow and uh, to to prove those abilities. Uh, so that was that was a big thing for me, which it's always hard to tell that, you know, when you go go through an, an interview. But I feel like, you you know, when the culture's right or, or when it feels right. Um, and it it did for me, at least here here at Stansel. But you know, we, especially as, as a contractor, we hire a, a lot of different positions, um, skilled laborers and operators and electricians and uh, estimators and, and project managers. And it's, it's hard to tell what the industry really wants uh, as far as um, work. We have a lot, we're all almost always hiring, it seems like, right. uh, and have fair amount of turnover, unfortunately. But I think for the vast majority of, of our folks, it's, they, they just want to know that they're it's just a good strong company and they're going to get their hours uh, as mm -hmm. crazy as that seems I mean they just want good work stability right. um, in a place that uh, if they show up and try hard and give their all and have good attitude every day that they'll be rewarded for it um, which you know is a top top down approach I think we we do a good job at um, make people feel like they they have a, a positive future uh, and they just set their hard work and uh, attention to detail and working safe and things like that is is recognized. I'm I work with all different age groups here, but I'm odd in the fact that um, I'm a big fan of our our age group. I I think that they do have a really good work ethic, unlike uh, what a lot of people say. I just think we want to work smarter, not harder, um, at our age. And maybe it's not about the long hours or or the long days, but uh, just the quality of work that we can we can give when when we're here, but that, that means we need to have good benefits, a good PTO, a good work-life balance. 
you know, at, at our generation and yeah, that, that stuff just, it's just important. Those are all really important things. And I like your smarter, not harder. So that is definitely a theme for today um, at succeeding. My, my team leader now, um, he, when, when he showed up, I had, I had been here uh, for, for a couple of years um, and, and was still learning and, and things like that. And um, it was a little bit different when, when we had a, had a role change there. Uh, of course, he's, he's been great for, for my development and, and um, we work very well together, but something that, you know, when he, when he first came, but we were going through our, our monthly uh, cost projections, things like that, as, as, as I do as, as a project manager, um, he would ask me a, a lot of really hard questions, mm-hmm. uh, which I enjoyed, but I always wanted to try to have an answer to them. Right. Um, and, you know, he, he would always say, it's, it's okay if you don't have an, I'm just going to ask you questions. And if you don't have an answer to it, it's okay. And, and month after month after month, he, he finally got it through my head and, and said, Hey, it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. Right. Um, and, you know, and let that be a freeing feeling, um, that you just, you just don't know. And that's better than, than maybe trying to make up an answer, um, Definitely. in the long run. So that one's kind of stuck with me. And ever since I got to that point, especially, uh, with him, uh, it, it really was a freeing feeling. Uh, and, and it seemed like it, it helped my development slow down at, at a more natural pace. Yes. Any other memorable pieces of advice? Um, best thing you've ever been told by your boss or your coworkers? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, my boss and, and and mentor for a long time would always tell me, don't let people define you by just simply your years of experience. And for me, just wanting to grow and accelerate my career, we talked a lot about how, you know, experience is experience. There's no substitute for that. But when you've got somebody that maybe is working 40 hours a week and you, you may be willing to go above and beyond, you can catch up on that time uh, pretty quickly. And so just hearing that, not to let other people define me by that and really just to, to walk into meetings, walk onto projects and really just show the, show the work that's been put in, uh, I think is really important to me just to encourage me that there is, um, there is a reason uh, you're working like you are. And, and you will be rewarded for it. So, so I was just kind of wrong in my head as, as I walk into the project site visits or anything. That's great. Yeah. I think a lot of what Taylor and Cody just mentioned resonates and there's, there's been a, there's been a lot of really great advice that I've received. Um, whether it was with MCD or, uh, within my personal life, but the, the one thing specific to my, role as a safety professional that stuck with me. My supervisor told me one time that safety essentially boils down to how we can influence people's decision making. Um, Cause I, a lot of the time when I first, when I first got this job, uh, my, my family was excited. Um, you know, my extended family was kind of asking me to describe, you know, what can, can you, what do you do for a living, right? What, is, what does it mean to be a, a safety professional or, or in the field of safety? And a lot of people immediately would jump to, does that mean you're, you're kind of like the OSHA person, right? And I was like, ah, oh, not necessarily. And it was a little bit hard to formulate a response, at least initially to define to them what the day in and day out activities were and what, kind of paint the bigger picture as well. But uh, really, it does boil down to how can, as a safety professional, can you influence people's decision making to, uh, you know, at a point of contention, pause, think, rely on the trainings 
that they've gone through a year in, year out, that rely on the experience that they have from however many years that they've been in the trade or the industry, and then make that decision, right, based on uh, those experiences. Or if you're unsure about something, right, taking that pause to stop, right, influencing people to have that power to make sure that if you're not sure about something, right, it's okay to stop, it's okay to ask questions, um, make sure that you proceed in an appropriate manner. Absolutely. I can definitely see why uh, that information all stuck with you all. That's great. The great perspective. So even though I think I could talk to you guys for hours, um, we're going to have to cut this off. Um, you know, for our on-air podcasts are definitely, um, you know, under an hour. So um, it looks like we're about out of time. So I wanted to thank, um, thank you so much to our guests today for sharing their insight, industry knowledge, and experiences with us today regarding trends uh for the next generation of electrical professionals. In closing, I'd like to also thank Senior Associate Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parson signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out the members only portal on our website. Thanks and have a great day.